Well, so this morning, of course, we, we return to the meditative cultivation of compassion, and this, this time relating this to, in the Buddhist understanding, the deepest dimension of suffering, called the suffering, the pervasive suffering of conditioned existence, which is not very self-explanatory. It refers to our fundamental, or even one could say existential, vulnerability to suffering physical and mental. So if we look at suffering as in physical pain and even mental suffering, from a purely biological perspective, evolutionary biology, then pain, pain serves a very, very useful and indispensable role for the one thing that evolutionary biology is really good at explaining, and that is how have we adapted to survive and procreate. It's brilliant science. It's Darwinian science, really good science. And so in this context of survival and procreation, if suddenly you did some kind of meditation that just made you unable to experience physical pain or mental pain, but especially physical pain, oh, your chances of survival really go down. Because then you break a bone, you wouldn't feel it, you get an abrasion, it wouldn't hurt, and so forth and so on. Well, your, your chances of then, what, what you would have done is killed the messenger from the body. When the body is injured, when it's ill, it sends its messengers called pain, attend to me. Hello, attend to me. I need attending. I need healing, and so forth. So we know that physical pain in particular serves a very crucial role, and there's a very rare disease, uh, the symptom of which you can't experience any physical pain at all, and the results are catastrophic. Catastrophic, right? So when we speak of our vulnerability to pain, clearly pain, physical pain for starters, does serve a very valuable role. Now one can ask, does that pain need to grip us as fiercely as it does to give us anguish, to make it utterly unbearable, especially if the pain, for example, is pain that you can't do anything about? Like there are spinal injuries. One friend of mine has a spinal injury, and the, the drugs don't help. And so he just has pain all the time. So he's getting a message from the body for which there's no useful res response. So it would be really helpful if he could say, just shut up. I know what you want to say, but nothing can be done about it. So pipe down. You have no, no more information to give me, but of course there isn't such. So physical pain on the one hand can be very useful. On the other hand, it's not always useful. And then we can ask the question, does it always have to get us in the grip that it can become so unbearable? We go to mental pain, mental pain. There's mental pain, suffering, mental suffering that arises directly as soon as the mental affliction of anger arises. It feels bad. There's mental pain or suffering that arises indirectly as a result of afflictive craving, attachment. And they too serve their value. Anger should be painful. Otherwise, we just want to be angry all the time, belligerent, hostile, resentful, aggressive, because it would feel good. You know? But it doesn't, and that's something of a warning signal. This is a symptom. It feels awful. Do you really want to feel awful like this all the time? And likewise, if craving and attachment and all of this, the afflictive modes of desire, if, these, if we could snuff out the resultant pain from them, then we have no incentive. We'd have no incentive whatsoever. There would be never arise any renunciation. No incentive to purify the mind. No incentive to spiritually grow up and outgrow our fixation on hedonic pleasure to look for something deeper. So the suffering that arises from mental afflictions of craving and hostility is also very useful. 
If we didn't have it, that would just under, undermine all spiritual practice. And once again, we'd be shooting the messenger. And that's exactly what the pharmaceutical industry does all the time. When people suffer from depression, from anxiety, and so forth and so on, because of their own mental afflictions, they don't have anything to offer for the mental afflictions themselves. They just suppress the symptoms. Now, on occasion, those medications are very useful. I think that's undebatable. But if they're so used so extensively, and with no help to e actually get to the underlying causes, only saying, hey, we've succeeded because we're managing the symptoms, which means killing the messenger, suppressing the symptoms. Well, that's good only, that's only good for one industry. That's only good for some sentient beings. That's shareholders in the pharmaceutical industry. But it's actually harmful for everybody else. So suffering arising mental affliction is very useful. You don't want to simply suppress it either with drugs or some kind of weird zombie meditation. It's useful, just like physical pain is useful. But if we go to compassion now, I'd like to address or cultivate this, bring, guide the meditation with reference to a very specific type of suffering. And I would simply say it's egocentric suffering. Because I haven't mentioned another kind of suffering, which I did allude to yesterday. And that is we see another person, a group of individuals, animals, human beings, who are suffering, and the mirror neurons start firing away. That robot would never feel compassion. Impossible. No empathy, no compassion, right? So also this other-centered, other-centered sorrow, sadness, that can give rise to compassion, may or may not, but it certainly can, and it is indispensable. If we don't have any sense of the suffering of others, why would we ever wish to alleviate it? It would, be, it would be a blind spot. We wouldn't see it at all, right? So there's one more kind of suffering that we don't want to anesthetize. And it's easy to do. Just don't ever watch the news. Don't listen to anybody's sorrow. If they start complaining, just turn them off and say, I'm sorry, I want to be happy. I, I just don't want to hear about your problems. And I never watch the news because I just want to be happy all the time. So smile at me but never grimace and never say any problem because I don't want to hear about it. I want to live in my own little happy cocoon. I want to be a total dope, a self-centered, oblivious dope. Well, that's not, that's not nirvana. So there's one more kind of suffering we don't want to simply suppress. Even if it gives rise to depression, good work with the depression and grow out of it, right? Rather than just trying to suppress it with drugs or anything else, by oblivion or by shamatha. Now, let's get real here. Could shamatha be a way of simply avoidance? So, ah, never mind the world's problem. I just, hmm, hmm. Mm. I, just want to, I just want to breathe in and out, you know, let me alone. At least that doesn't cause suffering. Sure, shamatha can be one more anesthetic. There's no question about it. No, more, no question about it. It can make one all the more self-centered, all the less caring of, of the rest of the world. Just give me my breath. So now that I've ridiculed one of my favorite practices in the whole world, <laughs> But of course, I'm not ridiculing the practice. I'm ridiculing a motivation for it, which frankly, it can be not only for shamatha, it can be for any spiritual practice, just an escape mechanism. There we are. Work can be an escape mechanism. Drugs, whether illegal drugs, nicotine, alcohol, escape mechanisms, pharmaceutical drugs, escape mechanisms. Buddhisms are not big on escape, not that type of escape. Escape by knowing reality, not by withdrawing from reality. So I want to stop talking so we can get back to the meditation, in which I have to talk more. But nevertheless, in terms of a preface, ego-based suffering. How about this one? Ego-based suffering. 
something happens to the world and I suffer because it's all about me. Somebody says something unkind about me, somebody cheats me, somebody doesn't show respect to me, somebody takes some of my stuff, my reputation goes down, I, I mean my, I mean mine, I mean mine, I mean mine, that based suffering, right? So we can, and what I'll invite everyone to do here in this meditation is, among the different types of suffering, physical pain, pain arising from mental afflictions as their symptoms, and then pain that it, or suffering, mental suffering, that's all stemming from the grasping onto I, me, mine. I really am, I'm autonomous, I'm separate, I exist inherently, there's a real nuclear me, and I have my body, and I have my mind, and I'm totally separate from all of you. That grasping, that's what we call ego grasping. Oh, see whether you're prone to that kind of suffering. Whether sometimes it's suffering not of the other three kinds, just physical pain, pain which is symptomatic of mental afflictions, of craving and hostility, or pain, empathetic pain, but just this kind of raw ego-based pain that somebody's insulted me. Something's happened to me and my stuff and my family and my country and my ethnic group and my religious group, my, my, my. And how much of our suffering is really all my-based, me-based, ego-based? And then considering, might we be free? If there really is an autonomous nuclear self, looks like we're stuck. To grasp onto it is just being realistic. In which case, to be free of that suffering, we'd have to turn our backs on reality, turn our backs on the reality that we really do exist autonomously, inherently, and so forth. But if that's a fiction, if that's a delusion, then we should be able to be free. And the antidote should be reality. It should be insight into reality, not escapism. Escapism from delusion, not escapism from reality. In other words, we always come back to this in the cultivation of compassion. There's got to be hope. If there's no hope, there will be no compassion. There will only be sadness and despair. Right? But if it's true that we really don't exist in that way, of course it's not to say we don't exist at all, that there's nobody talking here, nobody listening in this room, nobody listening on the podcast. That's ridiculous. Of course people exist. You exist, I exist. The question is, how do we exist? And if we don't exist in that nuclear, separate, autonomous, independent fashion, inherently existent, then there's no reason in principle why we should have to continue to cling to that delusion, which means we could be free. So this is the really deep fusion of compassion and wisdom. Because how will you ever feel that compassion? How will the compassion stem from that depth if you're just clueless about the, that root of suffering, the grasping onto an autonomous, inherently existent self? Okay? So this depth of the cultivation of compassion can go deeper, 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 lead you right into realization of emptiness, as realization of emptiness can lead you to this depth of compassion. And finally, the non-duality of wisdom and compassion. Okay, so we're definitely jumping into the deep end of the pool this morning. I've talked enough. Let's go into a meditative posture of your choice and have our session.
As you let your awareness descend into the body, settle your body in its natural state, your respiration in its natural rhythm, and calm the rumination for a little while with mindfulness of breathing. Then arouse your intelligence, your memory, your imagination, and if you will, briefly review the instances of suffering, the range of distress you yourself have experienced as a result of ego, the scope of ego-based suffering to which you have been vulnerable in the past have suffered in the past and are still vulnerable in the present moment.
then raise the question to yourself. Is it really necessary to be that vulnerable, to suffer that much, based upon this clinging to the ego? Or might you be free, or at least suffer less? possible to alleviate this suffering and its underlying cause, at least to alleviate it and possibly to eradicate it completely and irreversibly. And if you see a glimmer of hope, the possibility of freedom, then with a motivation of deeply caring for your own well-being, your own freedom from suffering, with each in-breath arouse the yearning, may I be free of such suffering and its underlying cause.
And with each in-breath, let your imagination play. Imagine being free of such ego grasping and thereby becoming free of its resultant anxiety, restlessness, sadness, mental suffering. Imagine becoming free. Then direct your attention outwards to another individual or group of individuals whom you sense suffer from the same mode of distress, ego-based suffering. Attend closely to such persons, not in the spirit of being judgmental, let alone condescending, but empathetically. Attend to the suffering they too have experienced rooted in this grasping onto an autonomous self. Grasping onto I and mine.
and with each in-breath arouse the yearning. May you, like myself, be free of this dimension of suffering and its underlying cause. With each in-breath, venture into this world of possibility, the possibility of freedom. And imagine these individuals becoming free. Imagine their relief, the serenity that comes in the wake of such freedom. Let your attention rove. Attend where, attend where you will to whatever individual or group of individuals and practice as before.
Let your awareness expand in all directions, embracing every person in this room, expanding out to all those in the surrounding countryside and expanding in all directions. And with each in-breath, arouse the yearning. May we all be free of suffering and its underlying causes. With each in-breath, imagine the world becoming free. Release all appearances and rest in awareness itself.
all that's all. Enjoy your day.